Sure, women's ice hockey or just ice hockey notched a key victory with a hat trick coming, but not so bright for our other sports on the hill, such as football, men's basketball, women's basketball. So let's start with football. What went wrong as Syracuse tried to, for the second to last chance of the season, tried to clinch a spot in a bowl game? Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, I know football played in Raleigh, North Carolina on Saturday, but it was a very dreary day on campus. It wasn't just the people that were gone. It was the teams who showed up, didn't show up, I should say, except for women's ice hockey. You do have Sean Tucker, who had a, he reached the record, single season record for Syracuse on Saturday. But other than that, this was another bad week from the offense and the defense, you know, uh, giving up a lot of yards, letting – this is supposed to be what we thought a really good defense that's really unraveled for the second week in a row, giving up 41 points. But you also are going to end up giving a lot of points up if your offense can't muster anything. And that was the case as well. You know, Garrett Trader, not even at 50% passing, he was 8 for 20. His QBR – a 19.3 compared to Leary for NC State, who had a 91.6 QBR on Saturday. So just like I said, the offense, I think that's really the main reason as to why this team has been so bad coming off this bye week. The defense, I mean, we saw this last year. The defense can only keep you in the game for so long before things start to unravel. And that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, and it's not just the defense. I mean, Sean Tucker rushed for 105 yards. It just said Syracuse doesn't have a passing quarterback. Garrett Trader is great at many things, but at a certain point, you're going to come up to come up against teams that are expecting the run, and those teams have gotten better and better all year. Or they've their schedule is ramped up. So now that they're facing actual teams, ranked teams, they're facing a lot of issues. And that's something that showed out against NC State and will show up against Pitt. Yeah, and this is kind of like a pick-your-poison thing when it comes to Tucker and Schrader. You know, I really thought that this was starting to be a kind of dual threat. You're seeing with, okay, Schrader can pass at times, but he can also run the ball really well, too. And, of course, you have Sean Tucker, who's been excellent all season, 40 orange. So now it's a matter of picking your poison for defenses. And I think so far they've done a good job of actually containing uh, Sean Tucker to the point where he's not running for 200, 300 yards uh, every week. Like he had a couple of performances at the beginning of the season. But Garrett Schrader's offensive production outside of his, I mean, his passing has gone down significantly, but the amount of yards he's able to muster has also gone down. You know, only 70 yards from him on Saturday. So teams are picking their poison. The picks to shut down Garrett. And so far, it's worked. I think we thought that Sean Tucker was such a uh, big part of this offense, but never underestimate how big the quarterback can be on that offense. And you can see as the offensive production of Garrett Trader has gone down over the past couple of weeks, this team has suffered and they've suffered big time. I mean, a lot of this raises questions for next season, such as a, how does Dino play the recruiting game? Does he still look for a quarterback right away? Because Garrett Trader is not 
I mean, he's not a senior, but he doesn't have four years left. And then receivers. This defense is going to be set for next year and, and down the road. And so is the running game. So who is he going to bring in from, the, from high schools or from the transfer class to play catch with the quarterback? Because Damian Alford, Courtney Jackson, they need help. Maybe they're not even the answer. So what happened to the tight end game of a couple of years ago? What happened to that? What happened to the entire passing offense that Syracuse boasted? Well, it turned into a running offense. And then what happens when a running offense comes up against a brick wall? They need to throw the ball and they don't know how. So it's going to be interesting to see what Dino does recruiting wise. And it's something we've stressed all year. I mean, you especially talking about the recruiting from the Northeast. So It'll be interesting, but still one game ahead against Pitt. One last chance to claim a spot in a bowl game. Does Syracuse do that against Pitt? You know, I'm not even sure at this point. I think that we're, I think that Syracuse is not going to clinch a a bowl game spot on, on Saturday against Pitt. And I think, and rightfully so, Dino Babers' job is going to be in jeopardy come Saturday, you know, or come after Saturday. This is a team that, like I said, has had many chances to be good this season, has not been able to. And a lot of it has been mismanagement of the game by the team's own coach. So I think that's the big problem for the Orange uh, after this, you know. And talk about the offense. Talk about the players. You talk about the future of this team. And you wonder, you know, just before this game, we saw the team's fourth leading tackler, uh, Jeff Cantonark, who entered the transfer portal. He's the, the ninth player to either leave the program or enter the transfer portal this season. Of course, you had Tommy DeVito, who lost the starting job. You've also had players like Todd Harris enter the transfer portal as well over the course of the season. You have some of your best players deciding to, to opt out, you know, and I think what? Chris Elmer also redshirted himself this week as well. So there is a lot going on with this team. And if they're not able to retain some of their best players going forward, like what's going to happen? I think about Jacoby and Morgan, you know, if he doesn't get a rep for the, in the, in the pick game at Saturday, Garrett Trader is not, Garrett Trader again, is not performing well going into Saturday. What's going to happen, you know? Is he going to answer the transfer portal now? I, um, part of it is you've seen this whole different this new way of thinking with the NCAA letting up a little bit. You're seeing more players like trying to exercise their options somewhere else, not stay committed to one school per se, go where they think they'll get the best opportunity to play. And that's one thing. But I mean, what does this show about the culture? You know, and I'm not alleging that there's anything dark and bad like there was with women's basketball. But what does it say if players on your team keep on leaving? You know, and I think that at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, boosters and whoever donates big and John Wildhack are all going to make that decision after the season as to what happens with Syracuse's coach. But I don't think it looks good right now. I think that this team is most likely going to get blown out on Saturday. Um, Like I said, they're not going to have a big home field advantage. Uh, There probably won't be that many students there at the game. There won't be that many fans. This is not going to end well. And I think 
don't be surprised if we are watching the last days of Dino Babers' tenure as Syracuse football coach. I was a very optimistic person going into the season. At this point, I think I've seen too much to, to wonder how he'll still remain here. I, I don't think this this is anywhere near Dino's last days. I don't does now do I think he deserves to get fired? Yeah, I think I do. However, the school is paying him a lot of money. And for for Dino's credit, he's a good motivator. And except for one call and and usually one call a game, he's a good game planner. Now these last two games have been blowouts. But before that, against other top teams like Wake Forest and Clemson, it was one bad call ending a game instead of instead of the team just getting destroyed. So I think Dino does have potential, and I think the school will hold on to him. I would look more towards offensive coordinator, uh, Sterling Gilbert, getting, getting axed. I'd look at maybe even the defensive coordinator, because while the defense has been good, defenders are leaving. And that is a major problem. And you have to wonder who's at fault for that if it's, Dino, if it's not Dino. So I, I don't think Dino's job is really in jeopardy. Now going into the pick game, I think Syracuse does, does have a chance. It's just that they've been beaten down the last two weeks, which is going to make it really hard. It's been discouraging. However, being at home, being in the Dome, Sure, there will be a smaller crowd, but I think they'll have some momentum at their backs, and they'll have a chip on their shoulder. They want a bowl game. They want to keep playing. So, Sean Tucker especially. So, this team will come out with a lot of firepower, and I think it will be a much better game than these last two. Again, passing is a major part, so they can't just rely on Sean Tucker the entire game and Garrett Trader's legs the entire game. They need Damian Alford, Courtney Jackson, whomever else to step up. Like I said last week, Pitt is a good football team. This is a team that, I mean, remains competitive in the ACC, but it's just a team that, you know, they have their players on offense and defense. They have a good quarterback. It's not nothing fancy that you're going to see in terms of looks. They're just a team that's sound. They're a team that's well coached. They're a team that knows what they're doing. And that's why they've been – and like I said, they're not one of the top teams in the country always, but they're always just a good football team. They're good enough to compete in the ACC this year. And the gigantic, uh, weird thing that has been college football, they've remained pretty steady. So I think that's something that Syracuse is going to have a problem with. There have been a lot of teams on the decline this year, and Syracuse hasn't even been able to beat that. Syracuse should have beat Clemson this year. Syracuse should have beaten Wake Forest this year. They did not. So my expectations for this team going into Saturday are very low. But with that, I'll be talking a little bit about uh, some of the musings within the football program and college football conversation actually in my three-minute drill. But with that, let's uh, segue over to men's basketball who also had a pretty embarrassing performance on Saturday. It was just, uh, for the most part, a really bad Saturday here uh, at SU or on the SU campus, as both of us are doing this podcast from Massachusetts and Philadelphia today. 
but it was really bad. This team got beat 185 by Colgate, who at the time I believe had a losing record in the case in the out of the Patriot League. They were one and two going into the season. And for me, Jesse, I don't know about you, but I came into the season with very high expectations for the team. They weren't ranked going into the season. I thought they should be. I thought with the ragtag team that made it to the Sweet 16 last year, just wrapping up some wins towards the end, they'd definitely be an Elite Eight Final Four team this year at the least. But it's early in the season. A lot has happened. Top teams have faltered. I think about Villanova losing to Purdue on Sunday, you know, my other favorite college basketball team. But is is this part of the course for what we may see down the line? Will we see another embarrassing loss like this in the future for this team? Or is it just a fluke and should we be treating it as just a fluke? I'm hoping it's a fluke. I mean, I didn't go into the season with as high hopes as you. I was hopeful but reserved because it's not the same team as last year and the the talent on the on the face of it has taken a dip there's no Quincy Garrier no Kadari Richmond no Alan Griffin no Marek Dolajai either so this is not the same team as last season it should be one that I thought would be at least comparable but I mean this is a scary loss and, and the funny thing about it is Syracuse has faced Colgate over a hundred times. I think probably over 150 times. Their first meeting back in 1902. Syracuse had won 54 straight matchups with Colgate going into this one. The last time that Syracuse lost to Colgate, well, four days earlier, John Glenn had just become the first American in orbit around the Earth. That was on February 20th, 1962. February 24th, Syracuse loses to Colgate. And then this is the first time since then, the first time since the Kennedy administration, the first time since the height of the Cold War. I mean, the Mets had not even won a World Series by this point. The Mets were, this was their first year. This was in the middle of so many things in history that, really define a lot of American culture that it is almost fitting that it happens, you know, at the, in 2021, where we're the year after a controversial, controversial election in the middle of people of debates over coronavirus. It's fitting that it should happen at this time that Syracuse should lose again. Maybe it's a sign of the time. So maybe beware when Syracuse loses to Colgate. So maybe it won't happen for another 54 years. But it's crazy, and then it just happens in such a weird way that Colgate just drains threes. They that's what their that's what their production came from was three point line. Syracuse just couldn't couldn't match up. I don't think Colgate hits those shots every game. I don't think they're nearly as proficient. But it happened, and it probably won't be the last time that one of these deemed to be lesser teams puts up a good fight against the Orange. Yeah, I mean, you talk about three-point shooting, right? Colgate shot almost 42% from beyond the arc. So, really good. Uh, Syracuse, you know, there were some performers on this team, but I kind of think about the bench and the lack of production. Uh, you had Samir Torrance, who 
uh, played for 11 minutes. He only got five points. Benny Williams had seven, and but he played 22 minutes. You know, you kind of expect a little bit more production for somebody who plays over half the game. Uh, Frank Anselm only had nine minutes and get everything, but I mean, that is a minuscule amount of time. So it makes sense. You had some production from the starters. I mean, Slider and Edwards were kind of, they really didn't get that much out of the game, you know. Uh, Slider was, what, three for eight? Jesse Edwards took less shots from the field, but he only had eight points. Um, you did have some big performances. You know, Joe Girard, he had 27 points. He was 8 of 14 shooting. Buddy Beheim was almost 50% shooting himself. He had 19. So, I mean, it's there. And this team, it's not like they got destroyed. I mean, 15 points is a lot to move by to Colgate. But Colgate, I mean, I do think we probably have to acknowledge that. Colgate just really shot well. And I think you saw this in the first half against Drexel, you know, where Syracuse was down one at the half. It's not that they were being outplayed necessarily. It was just that Drexel was really shooting well, you know. And we talked about this last week. Drexel wasn't driving the paint. They weren't making all these, like, short jumpers. They were they were getting their mid-range to out-range shots. That's how they took the lead after uh, the first half. They just they were making their shots, and Syracuse did a better job in the second half. I mean, it's really what it is. So, you know, it's working on that perimeter defense, I think, which isn't always easy because, I mean, with the amount of players that can shoot threes, Almost well, it's the a, a three-two zone. It's a zone. Syracuse doesn't know how to guard their perimeter. They know how to guard the paint. They're just banking on teams missing. It's Jim Beheim's zone that's the problem. So when they come up against this shooting team, they have no way of defending it. That's that's the issue. It's not just that you know teams are hitting their shots. It's that Syracuse has no means to contest those shots. Yeah, and I mean that's something that's been talked about this city, this area, this region for a long time. Decades. Over and, four decades, people have com- been complaining about Jim Beheim's zone. And I'm already thinking in my head right now, I mean, when this team plays Villanova in the Jimmy V Classic, if this is what they're going out with on the defensive front, they're about to get flacked so <laughs> badly. You know, Villanova, I mean, like I said, they've lost to Purdue. They, they lost to UCLA, even though UCLA is a good team. But Villanova is a very shooting-oriented team, you know. Even their big guys can shoot threes. They know how to get outside the perimeter. And this has been the case for years with this team. So, yeah, listen, college basketball, basketball in general today, you've got to be able to shoot well. You've got to be able to shoot from the perimeter to be successful in the game of basketball nowadays. So if Jim Beheim has any chance or if he wants to be able to win games in the 21st century, he's got to get out of this 2-3 zone like you say, and I mean, you don't even have to go out of it all the while, but you've got to have to, you kind of have to have this man presence, you know, man defense presence eventually, and at least use it some of the time so that you're able to limit, limit those shots on the perimeter. Because, I mean, the defense is pretty good inside the paint. Now, it's just a matter of making sure that you can limit the damage, the collateral damage on the outside as well. Yeah, so a, a lot of work cut out for this team. I'm not sure they need to put in the same amount of work going into the VCU game tomorrow night because VCU, their top scorer is Vince Williams with about 12 points per game, and that's far less 
than multiple Syracuse players. So I think it'll just be the VCU one will be uh, about of who can just outright score. And the Rams do not have the bil- that ability. The Orange have that ability. They will just trounce, trounce them and ma- make it a complete laugh, completely laughable game. Yeah, I think this VCU team looks like they can play defense. If you look at all the games they've played so far, very like low scoring games and whatnot. But like I said, they also don't score that much as well. So it's both a blessing and a curse. So I think Syracuse knows how to score. They can score in multi different ways. They can shoot from the perimeter. They can, of course, go in. They've got the players who can do that. So it's just a matter of locking them down. I think VCU, a team that doesn't score much, that's a good opponent for the Orange to come in and, and be successful. Yeah, th- this will be a good, I don't want to say momentum builder, but confidence booster for the team. Now, a- another team on the Hill that needs a boost of confidence right now is the women's basketball squad. As they come off of a nine-point loss to Buffalo, sure, Crislin Carr, 23 points, very respectable outing for her, and she's been performing all season, but that is not uniform among, among the rest of the Orange, and they keep dropping games. Yeah, the Bahamas has not treated Baton Rouge squad well at all. You know, they lost to Buffalo on Monday. Um, they lost to Felicia Leggett Jack. Yeah. Of course, had her number retired last week, as we talked about on last week's show. But lost her by nine points. They got beat the day before by Minnesota. I mean, the loss to USF on Saturday was, I think we, we knew that was coming. But these two that they just encountered in the past two days have just been absolutely horrible. And this team, this team will also have Colgate coming up in the next uh, coming up on Sunday at the Dome. So we'll see how that one ends up. But like I said, this is a team that is struggling. They barely have anybody returning from last year. New coaching team. There are huge growing pains that are going on with this team right now. We're going to see how they uh, try and overcome those as the season goes on. But at the same time, you don't know if Von Reed's going to be the guy. And I think I was, I thought he could be going forward with how he's been the system on the team. But I think you at the time were a little bit more skeptical. And I think now I'm starting to see that. Von Reed maybe right. just be, Let's go. He may, he may just be a bridge. And here's the thing. I don't know maybe after this whether he'll go back to being an assistant coach or maybe he'll go somewhere else. You know, maybe just leave the program entirely. But I think if you're John Wildhack right now, you ought to start looking at a possible replacement. And you've got to get ready because this is a team that has got to – uh, have a continuation plan. You know, a team that almost or the team that made it to the national championship uh, five years ago can't falter this quickly. This is giving me Philadelphia Eagles like 2017 vibes in terms of how quickly a team reaches the pinnacle but falls down so hard. And for a team that, like I said, was nearly reached the top less than half a decade ago or about half a decade ago, you've got to do better. Yeah, I mean, 
that there was so much hope a couple of years ago and obvious for obvious reasons that that has changed so they need they need to find a star for their next head coaching job and the problem is with that you know with finding a star one you have to know what to look for and two you have to be able to get them to come to you because right now if i was a good head coach on the market I would not be looking for a Syracuse. I would not be looking for this amalgam of players that just came together after disgrace marred the university for the last coach. I would be looking elsewhere to establish programs with soon-to-be retiring coaches. If teams were chasing me, and I, if I was a good head coach that had teams chasing him, there would be no incentive for me to accept a job at Syracuse. Yeah, it's been really drowned out, you know, in terms of the, uh, the cachet that this team had over the past few years. And you wonder whether this is going to be an attractive destination to even more somebody. And like I mentioned a few weeks ago, too, you know, women's basketball is kind of different you know it's not like the college football uh coaching or the nfl coaching carousel that we kind of see you know women's college basketball is you pick a place you know you help build up that program and you stay there you know and that's how all the coaches have have been and have been successful in the sport and we talk about gino talk about people like Pat Summit and the coach of South Carolina as well and Kim Mulkey and even people like Muffet McGraw. But, you know, this is... We also have to remember that Coach Q was here for almost, what, 15 seasons himself? I mean, that is... And if last year's article had not come out, he would still be here. You know, so this is a place where you have to like you got to make sure the hires right you got to make sure that whoever this next guy's going to be I mean we don't know that Von Reed's going to be going yet but based off the performance the performances we have I can only predict that it's only going to get worse from here so going forward I think that you have to be you just have to be looking around and seeing who can help build up this program. Yeah, I mean, it, it is about who can build the program, and Syracuse has to look for that. I'm not sure Von Reed is the guy to build a program because he's never been in charge of that, and he's only there right now because of, because of crazy circumstances. But I'm also wondering if Syracuse doesn't if they if they are unable to find someone who meets the standards of an ACC team while also wanting to be in Syracuse, Von Reed, what is the alternative? The alternative is Von Reed. So does he turn into that figure at a certain point? Down the road, maybe, if if he can work with the players for a little while. We're not into the, the heat of the season yet, so we won't know what he's like when the pressure comes with teams that are going to be making a run at the tournament. 
So as of right now, I would say Von Reed is not the answer, but he might be the, you, you know, multiple choice questions where it's like a math problem and you do the equation and what you came out with is none of the answers. So you just pick the closest one. Yeah. Is, is Von Reed going to turn into that? Because every now and then that's correct. Possibly. Possibly. Every now and then that that's the correct answer. And you, your, whatever equation you use, it might've been the wrong one, but it came out to something near to what you were looking for. And it turned into something correct. That might be Von Reed, but more often than not, that's not how it works. And I think they need to find that correct answer. They need to fill in the right circle before just guessing off of something close. I guess it just all matters on what you're going to produce, right? I mean, will this team get a statement win? Will this team beat a Louisville or, you know, somebody in this? I mean, the ACC isn't as competitive as it's been in recent years. I think Louisville is a team that's emerged as probably the top team out of the, out of the league, out of the conference. But along this line, will they be able to, to beat anybody notable? You know, and we don't know how the season's really going to play out. They don't have that many non-conference games with big opponents. Like, they don't play a UConn or a South Carolina going down this uh, early stretch here. And they don't have those games on the schedule at all throughout the season. They played Notre Dame already, a, a Notre Dame that is starting to build back up, but they kind of had a continuation plan in place after Muffet McGraw decided to step down and retire after many years of service to the school and the program. But like I said, they got to write that that ending. They got to write the ending to that storybook. Uh, Coach Q did not get to write his ending to the storybook for reasons that we all know now. So now not only, right, do you have players who have left, players who felt uncomfortable in the program, but you also have a program whose future is completely different now. Prospects may leave because of the coaching change. Prospects may read the articles and say, I don't want to come here. This is doesn't want to be a place that I want to come to. And that can not only hurt a reputation of the program for the year ahead, but many years down the line. So it's not just replacing the coach. It's you still have Von Reed, of course, served under Coach Q. We don't know the extent as to what how Von Reed was, whether he maybe was a play a, a coach that players could confide in during all this entire ordeal, or we don't know whether he was maybe an enabler as well. That's just information we don't know. But I think there's going to be murmurs and sounds going around to prospective players going down the future about how it is to how, how it was to be in the, the culture, the program of Coach Q and assistants like Von Reed. And for some of those players, former players, they may believe that it requires a whole entire culture change, meaning somebody freshly moved from the group. So I think that's very, it still moves very large on this program going forward. 
they they need they need a change. I think that goes without saying because yeah, a couple of years ago they were in a fantastic shape with Coach Q, and then even under Coach Q that started to crumble, started to chip away, and now it's where we are now. And with non-conference games running out, spring training is over. Except spring training usually means that it's a bunch of meaningless games that are that you're either they're not going to count for anything or they're all going to be easy wins. And Syracuse has already lost a few of them. So they're in a peculiar spot. I don't see them making a tournament run. I don't see them going to the NIT tournament or getting any placement in the ACC tournament. So they are really in trouble at the moment. And it's going to be interesting to see how this moves over the, the next year or so. But well, something else that I'm interested in to see how it moves is the three-minute drill. And Chile, I hear you've got a pretty pressing matter that's got a lot of people in the 315 and its greater community, you know, student-wise where we are, pretty enraged. Yeah. So you, you, you want to take 60 seconds? I think I can give you 60 seconds of that. I need 60 seconds to just, like, just, Hopefully, I don't come off as mad and angry, but I kind of am. Well, you should be mad and angry, and you should start talking because your 60 seconds start right now. So, Tuesday, today, the 23rd of November, the Doak Walker Award finalists were named. Let me read to you their names. Kenneth Walker of Michigan State, Grace Hall of Iowa State, and Tyler Beatty of Missouri. You know who's not on that list? Sean Tucker of Syracuse University. You don't think that's ridiculous? I mean, very few people think it's ridiculous. Don't think it's ridiculous. Tucker, he has 1,467 rushing yards. That's more than Hall. That's more than Beatty. While he doesn't have more than Hall, or excuse me, yeah, while he doesn't have more than Hall, or excuse me, while he doesn't have more than Beatty, he does have more than Hall. So, listen, I know that Joe Walker Award maybe isn't as widely followed as the Heisman per se, but this is still the honor for the top running back in the country. And the facts clearly show that Sean Tucker should be on this list, and he's not. So whoever made these nonsensical uh deliberations as to who should be a finalist and whatnot needs to go rethink this decision. They won't, but they do need to. Because I don't know how you can go to sleep at night and not realize that one of the best running backs in the country at this point is not a finalist for your award. Said. I let you get a little uh, overtime there. Only because I I agree with you so much. I deserved overtime. (laughs) Sean Tucker deserves that award he first of all with a game to spare he broke the Syracuse single season rushing record take some history into account Sean Tucker just on a historic local school level level deserves more recognition than that he's third in the nation in rushing yards and he's doing it on a team where you expect them to rush you expect Garrett Trader or Sean Tucker to break free with the ball and he's still pushing forward he's had now I think nine games where he's rushed for more than 100 yards possibly 10 it's unbelievable the amount of disrespect that's being shown towards Sean 
Tucker, I am not pleased with this committee's performance. That's, that's a very it. good point. I don't know why I didn't use that line myself. Uh, overplayed, cheesy. Eh. Well, I've got a minute. And actually, this minute will be will have relation to cheese. Because I'm talking about the New England Patriots and their quarterback, Mac Jones. So Mac and cheese. Look, the AFC East for 20 years belonged to the New England Patriots. And that time with Tom Brady ended. But it's back! Mac Jones and the Patriots have completely flipped the AFC East upside down. They've they flipped the entire conference upside down. They are on fire. The Bills missed their window to be the top team. They could have done something in the playoffs last year, and they didn't. Now they're behind again. The Patriots are one win away from being tied for the top team in the East. And they're better than the Ravens because the Ravens, what they've done is they've won cheap games. The Patriots have had cheap losses. They keep losing by a field goal to some of the top teams in the league, such as Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is exactly what those Patriots were in t- early in Brady's career, too. A strong run game combined with a heavy defense. That's been the key this year for New England. They just keep getting closer and closer and closer. And if they beat Tennessee this week on Saturday night, or excuse me, uh, on Sunday night, they do have a Saturday or Monday night. I'm forgetting the days. With... Uh, with a Saturday game coming up. But they're a super cal- ca- Super Bowl caliber team. Bill Belichick has done it again. Patriots are going to win their seventh Super Bowl. You heard it here first. It's happening. I don't know whether the Patriots are going to win their next Super Bowl, I'd say. But I think I it's, pretty, it's been a pretty incredible uh, build back up of their team. You know, Buffalo fans were rejoicing when – Tom Brady went down south, and Buffalo had a nice season last year. Couldn't make it to the Super Bowl, though. And now they, it seems to all be unraveling for them as of now. Uh, like, they lost this week to Indianapolis. Carson Wentz, Indianapolis Colts. This, of course, not too long after they lost to Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Urban Meyer, who was there being weird inside a bar in Columbus after his team had just gotten smacked the day before or whatnot, or the night of, I think it actually was. So the Jaguars have had a lot of trouble. The Bills have barely left or anything. The Bills have had a few bad losses this year. And the Patriots, I mean, I don't think you can just say anything about respect for Joe Belichick. You know, he knows how to build teams. And I know he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, but the way his team, he's launched his team back into competition in the AFC East, I mean, obviously, I think we knew he was one of the best coaches in the NFL all time, but some people severely doubted him after Brady left. And I think that after this, so far, I mean, you can't disrespect the legend that is Bill Belichick. I really appreciated that 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 yet. And uh, something uh, something else unrelated that I just want to bring to light that I didn't notice that happened in the last hour while we were taping this episode. Uh, the college football playoff committee released their top 25. Number four in the playoff picture is the Cincinnati Bearcats. Chalet, that's a pretty big move. We, we've talked about this a little on air, off air as well. What does that mean for the future of college football that a non-Power 5 team is actually in the picture? I actually saw this news and was waiting until the show ended to tell you so. But, I mean, listen, this is a very odd year in college football. 
you know some of the powers we've had in previous years just aren't as strong. I mean, Clemson comes to mind. Um, you have Georgia, which every few years will come up as a power. LSU has fallen off since they won the championship a couple of years back. So, I mean, based on what has happened, Cincinnati, I believe, is still undefeated, you know. And yeah, baby. There are some good teams. There are some decent teams in, in, uh, in the American. One or two teams usually emerges every single year. So, listen, Cincinnati's deserved their spot. I mean, do I think they would fall on the roadside the way Notre Dame does every year? Yes. No. So, I mean, if they make it to the college football playoff, I think they will at this point. It's just a matter of let's see what they got, you know. Esmond Ritter is the greatest player in college football history, with the exception of Joe Burrow, because he's awesome. And uh, you know if this team ends up winning a national championship, then all power to them. And I think it will definitely help the uh, American Conference, you know. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to not only go to Cincinnati, but also schools like Houston, which had a good football program a few years back. Temple, who had a few good program a few years back. And uh, SMU, of course, who I believe a couple of weeks ago was nationally ranked as well at one point. But there are teams for years that have been knocking on the door in the American. They haven't been able to get to it. So I think that a lot of them are really going to be excited by some of these developments. Bearcats are going to do it. It's in the name. It's Sin Sin. Natty, come on. I, I believe uh, now that I've said it, of course, I need to knock on every piece of wood in sight. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, if, what other superstitious things I can do. What, what, what happens if you say Macbeth in a theater? I'll do what they do for those. Spin around three times and spit or whatever it is. But the Cincinnati Bearcats, come on. It, it's all lining up so perfectly for it. It's got to happen. And don't say that they can't do it because they beat Notre Dame. They've beaten top teams. I know they've struggled lately, but come on. But the thing come is, on. here's the thing. I don't think of Notre Dame as a top team. I think of Notre Dame as a fraud. And I've well, I don't think of you as a top broadcaster. I think of you as a fraud. Oh, That's not true. That's not true. That's, I apologize. I lied. Yeah. Don't we have a player of the week or something? We do. Her no. name is Victoria Clement. Yeah. What about I mean, her? Big game on Saturday. Three goals and assists, four points for ice. the grad student. You know, this team, uh, of course, Natalie Heising of Penn State on Friday with an overtime winner uh, to seal it in a 1 0 overtime loss for the Orange. But they come out the next day. Come out on fire. You know, Penn State starts out one nothing, and Syracuse goes on to score a bunch of score goals. I think five straight after that. Penn State came back with two of their own, and then with less than two seconds left in the third, a empty netter from Victoria Clinic puts her over that three goal fast mark. One hat was thrown on the ice. One after that. Was it yours? It was not. Journalists, I can't do that. I feel like journalists have the right to throw hats on the ice, regardless of who records a hat trick. That's not a, that's not just a fan thing. That's a hat trick. That's a solemn moment in sports. Do you not stand up and wearing... do you not stand up when a home run is hit? 
I also wasn't wearing my hat. Well, why not? Because I have my computer out. I was telling the good people the information that was going on. Get your hat. Plus, it's a, it's a good hat, too. I don't want to get rid of it. I feel like a, a Victoria Clemick hat trick is, is worth the price of a new hat. But that's, that's, that's up for interpretation. But what's not is our final word, which is in tune with the holiday, unthankful. Adjective, unthankful, not feeling or showing pleasure, relief, or gratitude. And wouldn't you say we are unthankful for the way that Syracuse sports sans ice hockey performed in the past week. Syracuse football, men's basketball, and women's basketball all lost in dramatic fashion, most of which were winnable games. So, yeah, Syracuse fans are unthankful for that Thanksgiving display. And, uh, yeah. Hey, Joy, what, what, what do you have on your, your Thanksgiving plate in a couple days? I know we're, we're going to have some turkey in my house, but we don't really like to go for the full bird, so we do little bit of turkey, maybe some other dishes like lasagna and, and all that. What what do you have on your plate? I'm a big stuffing guy. Big stuffing, okay. Can't go wrong with stuffing. I actually, no, you can. I've seen in the Ernie Davis dining hall, they try to put cranberries in there. All right, that's, yeah, that's fair. That's wrong. That's fair. That's fair. That's very fair. It's very hard to do stuffing wrong. and they. I'm also a guy, though, that cannot eat Thanksgiving food, like, I love Thanksgiving food, but I can't eat it, like, that much in advance. Like, you can't be giving me Thanksgiving food on a Sunday in mid-September and expecting to eat it now. But, but there's no <laughs> consensus on what's Thanksgiving food, other than maybe a turkey, some stuffing, and yeah, I guess if you're saying. a cranberry person. But you, you can make love, Thanksgiving whatever you want. I mean, you can, but the general Thanksgiving food should not be had in September. It should not. I can eat some turkey. No. No? Now, there's a difference between turkey and, like, sliced turkey. No, turkey no. Salt. I mean, like, I can eat a bird. I can eat... I, no. I would be down if someone were to cook a turkey. No. Not at all. Turkey's good? It's good for you. It is good for you, but it's, it's a, for me, it's a solely Thanksgiving. I, I don't really hey, go with the stuffing. It's expensive. How can you really buy turkey? How can you that buy far turkey? In advance? That far in advance. Not, well, it's not in advance if you're not doing it for Thanksgiving. It's not cheap. Turkey's not cheap. Yeah, it's a treat. To buy whatever you want. I, I think we're just coming to the consensus that we all have free will and can buy whatever we want any time of the year. But Well, I'm going to find a way and buy ourselves out of this conversation. <laughs> End the show. <laughs> no, no, we're gonna keep talking about food. My last name's Cook. God damn it. Your last name is Cook. Yeah, I actually got to cook this week. I got to go home and use my stove and everything. I made made some good. I baked some cookies with and like some uh, molasses cookies. They're delicious. But of course, my mom did most of the work. But uh, you know, eggs. Make I make a killer egg sandwich. So. Anyone who listens to our show, you're, you are entitled to ask me for one free egg sandwich that I, I will cook for you. How are you going to cook it? Uh, how are you going to cook it when you get back to Syracuse? 
some dorms some i know people with houses some, some people have their, their dorms have cooking have cooking resources i've got supplies for it so I guess, I'll, I'll i'll whisk something together put on the chef's hat and everything i feel like we people will be thankful when we end this show so thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening have a happy thanksgiving and uh here's hoping you just tuned out for the last five minutes Thank you.